0: Welcome to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host Alex Oliveira. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Jane Ballback. <laughs> so, Jane has written a book called Adoption Voices, yes. and it's she's going to share with us, you know, the the myths, the statistics, the challenges that come from the trauma, the loss, and so much more. Welcome to the podcast, Jane.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely, so your story um starts with your own uh path to adoption. You ad- adopted three children from yes. Korea, so tell us mm-hmm. about that experience.
1: um so my husband and I have known each other since high school and have been married for fifty three years and been together for fifty eight years. <laughs> so <laughs> a long time uh, And when we were first uh married in college. Uh, we were so busy getting through college, getting through graduate school, buying houses starting businesses, that having children just never, well, actually I prevented it for years because um, I was just too busy um, trying to build my own self. <laughs> I also come from a very traumatized home. Okay. i traumatized myself. Um, and so um, I was afraid. I was afraid to be a parent. I didn't know how, I wasn't mothered. Well, I was mothered badly, but um, I wasn't mothered. I'm I'm called a motherless child in psychological terms. (laughs) So when my husband started talking about having children and um, uh, by that time we were in our late thirties, we started with adoption and we started with international adoption because my husband, his choice. Uh, I believe in open adoption. My husband did not want to be associated with birth mothers or all the other entanglements that come with that. Mm -hmm. And by its very nature, international adoption is closed. My children's parents are in Korea. Now, they could theoretically find me and then I'd be happy if they did, but it never never goes that way. Only about 3% of Korean adoptees ever reunite uh, with their parents. So um, we chose Korea for a number of reasons. I just, for some reason, have a special affinity for um, for the Asian culture and Asians in general. And um, the agency that we used, who started the international do- uh, adoption movement in 1956 after the war, right here in Eugene, Oregon, I'm in Ashland, Oregon, Um, was one of the most legitimate agencies in the world because they started the whole process. So uh, I knew I would be well handled and ethically handled, um, and we were. And Korea was one of the few countries did not insist that you come or come repeated times or stay or jump through a million hoops. Matter of fact, we never had an attorney. Oh, wow. No, we just, we had legal papers, mm-hmm. but we we didn't need an attorney. So the whole agency does a couple of unique things still, still around, <laughs> Eugene. Um, they have the children fostered instead of, they have an orphanage, of course. Um, the children are fostered uh, right after they're born. And I do believe, although I don't know for sure, that my sons were given up. Immediately, they're twins, they're fraternal twins. okay. And so they arrived at five months when we were 39 years old. Okay. It takes five months for Holt to make sure that everybody's healthy, that everybody has been contacted, that needs to be contacted in case there are family members who don't wanna relinquish their children. They are officially relinquished to Holt. Officially, there's paperwork.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Nothing, nothing nefarious about it. Although there are plenty of children left on streets and police stations and, you know, other places. My children were not. So the boys arrived when they were five months old. And then I remembered I hadn't, I hadn't designated a gender. Uh, and I was willing to do twins because I was so old. This is a social worker's idea. Korea had the antiquated idea. You don't deal with the agency. You deal with the Korean government through the agency. Mm-hmm. And their law was the parents couldn't be any older than 80. And we were 39. So she said, we better zip this up. I'll find you twins. <laughs> okay. I said, I'm an identical twin, so
0: fine. <laughs> oh, you, you are also.
1: I'm an identical
0: twin. Oh, okay. That's yeah. neat.
1: So... Um, So the boys came, and um, my husband was a cosmetic dentist. I was a human resources consultant. And um, my husband kept working at the same rate he was working. Um, I cut back my work because I was fortunate enough to be business partners with my identical twin. So when the children came, I needed to cut back the enormous amount of hours I spent in the consulting company. Mm-hmm. And so, if I worked sixty percent or seventy percent or whatever percentage I worked, then I just gave the money to my twin, and I was available, uh, at least was emotionally for my children. Um, we had physical help. I couldn't have done it without physical help. It wouldn't. It wouldn't have been possible. I wouldn't have slept. <laughs> so. Um, that first night we got home and 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 because you don't go to Korea, they don't stop you from going to Korea, but they don't want you to come either. It's sort of, the Koreans are interesting. They so were so supportive of, of relinquishing their children, particularly after the war, of course, and then later on as well. Because um, my children are not orphans. My daughter is the product of a single mom. Mm -hmm. And my boys have parents and brothers, and I have no clue. I can understand why the single mom relinquished my daughter. Uh, Even today, being a single mother in Korea is a very hard road to hoe. I have no idea why my boys were relinquished by their parents, because my boys won't get into their records. That is their choice. And I only have so many records. That's about all I know about it right now. So I was overwhelmed, as you might imagine, but you know, we kind of settled down in, into our routine. And, and for the first time after being together for all those years, um, at that point when we began together over 20 years, I likened it to being um two horses uh sort of hitched in the same way. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> I actually have to care when I come home. I have to care when you come home. <laughs> <I have> to- <laughs> about all these but, work. but we signed up for it and it, it was it was fine I was done with working that hard actually truth, truth be known I, I was you know so it was fine and so he said um, we came home and we did the feeding and the bathing and our boys loved to open the mail what an interesting thing to have little five month olds do they just sat and opened that mail until the cows came <laughs> home. It just kept them occupied. <laughs> they were thrilled.
0: That is cool.
1: Um, and then their favorite movie was Wizard of Oz. I'm so sorry to tell you, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and instead of being afraid of the monkeys, they couldn't wait for the flying oh, monkeys. My- So we all settled down into this life of um, every evening at home and weekends at home um, and doing all the things that parents do, Um, but I was just, I was just so ready to do it. And by the way, before I agreed to do this, I did find, and 36, my boys are 36, my daughter's 34, 36 years ago, there weren't that many experts. There weren't that many books, or I would have read them. But I did happen to find an expert in adoption, and she lived close to me, so I visited her international adoption, Sharon Roja, and got her advice. And because I knew I did not know how to parent, I actually went to a child psychologist, sat down for three visits, and said, tell me how you did (laughs) <laughs> I the instructional parenting. guide
0: right <laughs>
1: it was and then i read your one-year-old your two-year-old your three-year-old <laughs> child development i was playing catch up 90 miles <laughs> so uh, we all settled into our routine um it really is easy at five months to have twins Mm-hmm. Uh, because they slept through they were old enough and they had enough weight to sleep through um so it was only that first night that they kept us up and of course they kept us up that first night we picked them up at LAX at nine o'clock at night in baggage claim and I'm not kidding you It's was like okay put them in their little baby seats and drove them home <laughs> and of course uh, they slept on the way home but of course when we get home the crying started And my husband and I looked at each other like, holy Toledo. (laughs) Because neither one of us had had any experience with this. Are we ever going to sleep again? So we did the bottle, the change, the, you know, rocking, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I was a twin. And I remembered that my twin and I were put in the same crib because my parents could afford one of us, let alone two. So I was willing to do that, but instead I just pushed the cribs together, just put them right together. And Sherna, they found each other's hands through the bar, held hands, and went
0: to sleep. There you go.
1: (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hallelujah. So after that, we just got used to the rhythm of parenting. Um, I'm a very um, structured person and I think all children need structured, but particularly adoptive children need structured because they, they live in two worlds and they're greatly traumatized by losing their birth mother. And by the way, one of the great myths is that if you're in that delivery room, your child won't know they had a birth mother. How would that happen? They've been with that birth mother for
0: nine months and you show up. They're going to know. <laughs> so. so that so, trauma that you talk about and yeah. loss and fear, like all those things already start from birth. Oh, immediately. And, and then like what point did you, well, I think I'd love for you to talk about your experience in particular. Um, of course, you had help from mental health professionals mm-hmm. and whatnot, but at what point did the, the both your boys and girl like when did they start really asking you or or did you decide to tell them first how did that work
1: about an option? okay so first of all you can see what i look like my husband is six foot five and blonde there wasn't a lot of explanation sure think about it okay so we used the joint adoption from the beginning from the beginning, even though, even before they almost understood language, okay? You are adopted. You are Korean. And so... Um, Is that typical?
0: Understood? I'm sorry. Is that Probably typical not. in the relationship or no?
1: No. People don't hide it anymore or keep it much of a secret. That that was in days, in days gone by. You were matched. Uh, there are a lot of agencies in New York. You are a match by ethnicity, by religion, by hair color, by eye color, and the records were all closed. And in a lot of states, the records are still closed, which is isn't right, but it's it's the truth of it all. So as soon as as, as it made sense to start talking about adoption, we did, and and we didn't have to do it too much because. If you have two cute little boys in a in a double stroller and you walk down the street, you tell the story a good 10 times before you get to the end of the block. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was happy to do. My husband wanted to put the um, information on an 8x10 card and just hand it out. <laughs> but um, I was happy to introduce people to the idea of international adoption because it's such a mystery.
0: And, and, and Jane, just imagine if they would have had podcasts back then. You could have just said, listen to the doctor. Scan the QR code. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Uh. So I suddenly remembered. So then I got to be 40. And then I suddenly remembered that I didn't want to live my life without a girl in my house. Mm -hmm. There was too much testosterone. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> so I hurried and hurried and called the agency, figured they might bend a rule or two for me, and that they didn't have to do a lot of, they didn't have to do the homestead again. They didn't have to, you know, do any of that again. And so my daughter in Korea was born on my
0: 41st birthday. We share a birthday. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: I was 75 last Wednesday, and she was 34.
0: Happy birthday, belated birthday to you both.
1: Thank you so much. So uh, the boys are from Seoul. She was from Daegu. Um, Unlike the boys, she came depressed. And if you've never seen a depressed baby, you don't want to. Her little mouth went in a half circle down. She wasn't, and when I first after the first evening there, she was exhausted as well, of course. Oh, I want to tell you a funny story uh, in a minute. So the first night there, it was she arrived on the boys' birthday. Stacey has amazing timing. So the boys were three. She was five months. We were getting ready for this big welcome home party and happy birthday to the boys. And I was changing Stacy on the changing table. Neither of my husband and I walked. Um, but at three, children are very curious about this phenomenon. So I'm changing Stacy and flipping her over and powdering her. And Jake, one of her brothers, comes in the room, gets a gander at this, and screams to his brother Brandon, "Get in here! She's got two butts!" Oh. Okay, our first lesson.
0: There you go.
1: <laughs> so the next day, though, it got serious because she would take those little arms of hers and she would push me away. She would not allow me to hold her.
0: Wow, she like five arms. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. She was done. Now, I don't know how many arms she passed through between Daegu and Seoul. Mm-hmm. Too many, I'm guessing. <laughs> But she was done, 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 done. Put a fork in her. Or, the other phenomenon that happens is that some adoptees carry their birth mother's sadness, and I think that was true for Stacy. Mm. They literally carry her sadness. Birth mothers are, or first mothers, as they oftentimes are called, are very misunderstood. There's just I never met a birth mother that just wasn't haunted by this decision, forever. Where is the child? Oh, the child. Did I do the right thing? Of course, he did, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. She wasn't a fussy baby. She wasn't a difficult baby. There just wasn't one smile on those little lips. Oh. For about seven months. And then she, her first smile came with her first step. And after that, So, what I did to solve the problem, forgot this part, is I had my husband run out and get one of those baby packs, and I just carried her next to my heart so she couldn't push me away. She got too heavy after a while, of course, but we solved that immediate problem. She knew who I was. She was next to my heart. She could feel me. And, you know, it didn't solve her depression, but it eliminated, you know, that behavior. She allowed me to to handle her. So when I asked her to think about this experience years later, I said, so what do you think changed, Stacy?" And uh, she was a teenager then. And she said, you know what I think, Mom? I think I finally figured out that there were two other Koreans in the house. So how bad could it be? <laughs> <laughs> My daughter's funny. <laughs> So we began the journey of three children, three and under. We're outnumbered, um, but again, I'm a highly structured person. I had, um, if I had help, the nanny that I had co-parented with me. It wasn't just any old person. They co-parented with me. I like I'm a human resources person. I selected very carefully, <laughs> and so and so that was that was nice. That, that that worked out really well. So, um, the fear part showed up the first time when uh, we were at a birthday, not a birthday party, an after-school party with the kids. Preschool, the boys were five, Stacy was three. I was sitting there watching them play in the sand, drop their pizza, eat the sand, drop their pizza, eat the sand. And a little girl had lost her mom and um, I saw her walking around crying. And so I said, come on over here. I've got a cookie. Let's have a cookie and let's look around for your mom. So she did. We found her mom. She had brown curly hair. I used to have brown curly hair. (laughs) It's a while ago. (laughs) And um, that was the end of that. On the ride home, came this little voice out of the back seat of the car. Brandon, who was our adoption spokesperson, Mama, mm-hmm. is that the baby you wanted? She looked just like you. Oh, okay. Whoa. stop the car. Brandon, what did you say?
0: Yeah, where is did that, that come like- from?
1: <laughs> is that the baby you wanted? She looked just like like you so one more time you go home you get out the baby books their arrival their childhood and you explain one more time that that they were the babies we wanted
0: that's so the that fear. was
1: the first real fear mm-hmm. that i saw anyway. expressed so openly
0: and it wasn't a fear because you were you and your husband weren't giving them love or it wasn't a a, a household that, you know, it was just the fear that you no. they're born with. He, he,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. We love them. My husband came from a dysfunctional family, too. And so we were determined to touch them in love, spend quality time with them, doing all sorts of nonsense. Um Discipline them in a, in a, in a, in a uh, calm, responsive way, you know, particularly Brandon, a lot of timeouts, um,
0: in the chair. <laughs> it Brandon sounds like, yeah, quite, like you said, he, he's the spokesperson. So it sounds yeah, like Brandon couldn't was... quite listen
1: to anything. Um, Jake, not so much. He was perfect. Um, Stacy, not so much, but, um, or, you know, the other, the other, you know, the other, technique you learn is just the appropriate response to misbehavior so if they color on the wall they clean up the wall you know and and mm-hmm. and i was a, a responsive parent as opposed to a reactive parent mm-hmm. i'm naturally calm um the business i was in in human resources called for a lot of calmness
0: <laughs> absolutely dealing with people it's no i didn't joke. need to
1: add to the excitement Nobody called me because things were going well. So I, whenever I would enter conversation, uh, an, an experience where I wasn't sure what was going on, I called them adoption moments. And that's what the book is. It's 16 short stories of these adoption moments where sometimes, okay, I could, you know, pretty much figure out what was going, and sometimes I could not. But I was fortunate enough to find a child therapist who herself was adopted. Now, what's important about that, and most people don't know this, is adoption is not taught in any psychological or sociological course. It's not. And so a lot. I've known a lot of parents try to take their adopted kids to child therapists, and sometimes it's successful. But the therapist has, not, has got to understand the basis of the trauma, loss, and fear, or they don't get it at all. You know, mm-hmm. they just don't get it at all so um so as time went on um my perfect child jake okay so there's jake and brandon and um, brandon was the nodding one fine jake was the perfect one didn't think much about it jake's naturally perfect still is uh does things well does things thoroughly um this has a real profession is tendency if you will but but a lot of adoptees do they think perfection keeps them safe mm-hmm. uh, uh, matter of fact one time um, when the boys got home from a birthday party at chuck e cheese they were five my nanny who handled everything said you need to go talk to Brandon." well why well what can't you do why didn't you do it sharon oh no no you need to go talk to Brandon. okay so i go upstairs, and Brandon looks scared out of his wits. And I said, so, Brandon, what is the big deal? What, what happened at Chuck E. Cheese? Because I've heard we're never going back, and we're never going to be invited to another birthday party. What, what exactly did you do? I moon Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> you moaned
0: Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> oh, he was funny beyond his years at that, at that time already. He was a clown. Well, and, and I said— Talk, talk to me about this. I'm really curious to okay. also understand, Jane, um, how they felt, you know, so fast forward, obviously, to their adult, mm-hmm. you know, years when mm-hmm. you decided to write the book. Um, mm-hmm. How did you go about obviously you you have this experience, this journey that you want to share with the world, which I think right. is so important. And you're right. It's not something that's taught. So most of us scratch our heads, even when I've had friends who in the past who are adopted or as I said to you, I've worked with nonprofits that do foster care, but it's, it's, it's different because you have a lot of questions that you feel like you shouldn't be asking unless it comes up in conversation. So I feel like the platform that you're, you've given the world is a great one, right? you know, Um, and especially through stories the you know, instead of being so technical. And so I think that's what your book. Yes. Are so didactic. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but how Mm -hmm. did the kids feel about you going down that path? Because I I, I imagine they had their opinion, especially Brandon.
1: (laughs) Well, actually not. Um, So I first began, this journey for me of storytelling began um, when the children were older and I only told the stories to parents from the agency who were waiting for their children. That's how the storytelling began. Understood. Then I always knew I wanted to write a book And a social media consultant suggested that I blog first. So about 12 years ago, I blogged. And it was so successful that it turned into something else. But first, let me stop and say, every step of the way, I ask my children's permission.
0: Wow, okay.
1: Every step of the way. And don't go beyond their adolescent years. Mm -hmm. And let them see what it is. So I started blogging, became Mm -hmm. just phenomenally successful. Um, That's back when blogging was just about the only thing going on, right? That the social media consultant suggested that we turn it into an online magazine. And I published an online magazine for two years called Adoption Voices. Oh, wow. But unlike the book... Um, it was adoptees, birth parents, uh, adoptive parents, social workers, psychologists, film poets. It was y'all come. And it was a fascinating, fascinating experience. But at that point, I had retired from Human Resources Consulting because I have an autoimmune disease. And at that point, that magazine was working full time. So it was time to either monetize the magazine or stop. As my husband said, Gene, this is the world's most expensive hobby. And you've (laughs) had a few. Because I had a full-time employee, my daughter, who did the social media right out of college, and designers and consultants. So we knew how we were gonna monetize the magazine. We were gonna create a paywall and um a lot of it was still going to be free because that was my desire and behind the paywall were going to be ebooks and counselors and all sorts of other things and as i sat through that meeting this is now 10 years you know 10 years ago i was so excited because i i never thought about being a magazine publisher and i absolutely loved it even the hate mail i got i loved um because it was sort of funny in a way Um, but I thought, I'm I'm not going to live through this. This uh, autoimmune disease are triggered by stress. If you flare, it's because you're stressed. So I put it away. I just put it away and stopped the magazine. And there was no one to give it to. No one else knew who I knew could do what I did. It was just an, it's just an, a, a factor of my maturity and the fact that I knew one of the world's most you know famous women in in the adoption world that made the magazine so so very, very successful. So then I circled back ten years, and that's when I decided to write this sixteen short story book. That's so incredible. on the magazine again permission and the book permission and it's official permission. It's it's a conversation with each one of them individually. And, and my daughter who was my editor wanted really, she's the most sensitive about some of the stories. Um, really wanted to look at each one of them. I said, Stacy, I every word is true every word happened but if there is something you want me to tone down if there's something you don't want me to tell tell me now I won't so that's that's how it went wow yeah.
0: what what an what an experience absolutely well so yes. it's been so great speaking with you Jane and I know our audience our listeners um you know just the community that we have which is a lot of parents entrepreneurs as I shared with right. you at the top of the show um th- you know now they're going to know a little bit more but um you know obviously if if someone is considering adoption mm-hmm. um, and they're inspired by your story and they go out and get your book and, and right. they learn some of the stories like what's their first step education okay
1: there are now more good books written about adoption than you can shake this stick at okay besides mine
0: any that you recommend personally other than yours? Because yours are the storytelling mm-hmm. side, but then there's the yes, technical story side. Yes, my storytelling time.
1: Um, yeah. And, and when I, before I decided to do this, I sent my stories to my friend who's the expert on adoption and says you need to publish this because what's so unique about your, besides the storytelling, is that you're so vulnerable, Jane. You're not always right. You're not the authority. You get it wrong. You admit you get it wrong. You meant you're confused. So, uh, but there's a wonderful book, two two wonderful books that are my favorite. The first one is called The Primal Womb, a very famous adoption book. And that, that title speaks for itself, The Primal Womb. And the second one is Raising Your Internationally Adopted Child by Patty Cogan. And you don't need to have an internationally adopted child to like her book. Um Primal Wound is shorter. Um, she's, a, she's a child psychologist as well, so certainly qualified to write the book. But Patty Cogan's book really is um it, it really is a workbook. It really is a how-to book. As I'm fine, I read the book when my children were, were older, because that's when she published it. And as I'm fond of saying, had I had that book, it had been dog-eared and tear-stained. <laughs> what does Patty have to say about this? <laughs> so educate. Educate. educate, 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 understand, try to understand on some level what this really is and what this really isn't. And enter mystifying adoption moments Without anger, my daughter for a year and a half stole everything that wasn't nailed down. I was never angry. I was curious. I think there's two things that parents aren't too much. They're not curious enough. What's with this behavior? Mm -hmm. And they're too reactive and not responsive enough. So I was curious and I was responsive and um eventually
0: she and the therapist and i figured it out wow those are some great insights for any parent really not not just you know yeah parents I, wasn't, adopted... I wasn't a
1: screamer or a yeller. right a...
0: no Mm-mm. i you know i i have four of my own my wife and i and wow you know, to <laughs> to to your point i mean i can attest for that and we have these conversations on the podcast with other parents who are going through you know that mm-hmm. phase of life too And Mm -hmm. I, I, right on, I agree with you. It's about finding uh, a way to be curious, understand why they do what they do. And I couldn't have said it better to just, you know, be more responsive and present in the moment. And, and, and just, and and, and put
1: yourself out of the picture. It's not about you, right? It's not about you. And by the way, I was thrilled. We were never going back to Chuck E. Cheese again. And I told Brandon, (laughs) The he worst
0: did you guys part a favor. of the story
1: is, a that his, is that his perfect brother talked him into it. I said, "Brandon, this is the worst part of the story. Yeah, you need to knock that off."
0: That's right, but but he but he did everyone a favor.
1: <laughs> he was the most popular kid. Believe me.
0: Oh the we Endless
1: birthday parties.
0: Well, great, Jane. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us, and what we'll a definitely meeting you. Yeah, we'll we'll add your your book link and your website link to the show notes. And hopefully people will connect with you. It's been such a pleasure talking to you.
1: It has been such a pleasure.